Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. Those of you who tune in regularly will know that we produce podcasts in three different formats. There's our 10 minute lesson series, which covers key points on a topic. There's our seminar series, which allows us to listen back to presentations at past events and our interview series where we get to chat to a wide range of policy experts. This week is one of those. I'm delighted to be joined by Wayne Stanley, who's Head of Policy and Communication at Simon Communities of Ireland. And he's here to talk to me about the latest edition of their regular research piece, Locked Out of the Market. We hope you enjoy. Thank you, Wayne, for joining me today. I appreciate with the launch of this report that you are a busy, busy, busy man. So we might start at the very beginning, Wayne. You might just let us know what the Simon community is, I suppose, for we'll go right back to the very, very beginning. So the organization that you work for, who they are, what they do. Okay, so I work for the Simon Communities of Ireland, and we're the National Federation of Simon Communities across uh, the country. So um, wherever your listeners are, there'll be a, a local Simon community. That There's a Dublin Simon, Cork Simon, Galway Simon, Midwest Simon, Northwest Simon. I'm going to forget a Simon. <laughs> I'm, I'm conscious, like, the last time I looked, we've listeners in 64 countries across the world. So, you know, yeah. there, 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 there may be a Simon community in their doorstep. Or that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so Simon itself was set up, it started in, in the UK um, by a... Uh, a guy who was a kind of a well he had a a social bent and he uh, believed that uh, you know homelessness should be addressed and he set out in the Simon uh, you know to to set up the first Simon community and he was invited over in the 1960s to um, to Ireland to speak to a group of people and a group of students decided that they would start their own Simon community here in Ireland Um, and that they initially started, there were a group of UCD and Trinity students who uh, set up, uh, a, well, they did, what they did actually was really interesting. The first thing they did was they went out and they did a survey. And at that time, homelessness was uh, particularly along the canals in the in Dublin. Um, it, sorry, in Dublin, it was along the canals mm-hmm. rather than wasn't only in Dublin. Um, but they went and they spoke to those pr- predominantly men older men who were there and asked them, you know, what was the, what was the circumstances and what did they need? And would they, you know, would a kind of a, an outreach service be of any use to them? And they said it would. And what they found was there were older men, a lot of whom had actually served in the war. Okay. Um, and so that was the demographics. What they did was, so they went back and they set up what was a soup run and started making contact with those people and offering sort of a uh, soup and support. Uh, and then what they did was they went to the doll and said, we need to sort this. We need to fix it. It's not just, you know, charity isn't the way forward. This is, it should be a government issue. And I think we've kind of carried that spirit throughout the development of the Simon communities around the country. Um, in the, those three facets of it, we want to understand, make sure we're understanding the problems and the needs properly. We want to provide the services and support people out of homelessness and prevent them from coming in the first instance if we can. And also we want the government to change its policies and ensure that the policies in place are ones that will prevent homelessness, uh, stop people having to cross the threshold of a homeless service in the first instance. And for those people who are do have a crisis, experience homelessness or are currently experiencing homelessness, uh, that we get them out as quickly as we can. That's really what we're about. 
Okay, so I suppose that policy space then is, I presume, the impetus behind this locked out report that you do exactly. four times a year, three times a year? Yeah, so it's a quarterly report. And that's exactly, I think it started because you know, the, the private rental market is a route into homelessness mm-hmm. where it becomes unaffordable and tenancies break down. Um, it's also a route out of homelessness if, you know, someone can uh, find private rental accommodation and find the way out, out of homelessness. Now, as we know, and all of your listeners will know, in the private rental market, uh, it's becoming more and more precarious. Mm-hmm. And particularly in the Irish context, while the regulations around uh rental have you know significantly improved since the early noughties um it's still quite an insecure tenure uh for people particularly in the current market where it's so expensive and so tight and people are selling up and once a person decides to sell up they just have to give a notice uh, and the person has to leave the tenant has to leave uh now they get a notice period but in the context of things being so expensive and so few properties available uh, a notice to quit can could be a trigger of, of homelessness, particularly if you're more vulnerable. Um, so what we but what the lockdown looked at was there's a thing the housing assistance payment is a payment provided through local authorities for people who are, are eligible for the social housing list, and that's based on uh, income thresholds that are depends on which local authority you're in, which band they're in, um, and the, your household size uh, based on your income. Uh, which is, you know, can be reasonably generous if you're if you're a family, uh, because it's it's based on take home income, not your not your top line income, and then whether you have a long term housing need is another qualification that you know, and that's adjudicated by the local authority, so it's always worth applying for if you're if you are in the in the rental market and fit within the bands. The uh, what we look at in terms of the HAP is back to where sort of our initial focus, which is we want to look at, well, if somebody's at risk of homelessness, trying to find an alternative accommodation and they have the HAP uh, or a homeless HAP, which is where the local authority can provide you a higher rate over the basic rate. If you're in Dublin, that's 50% over the basic rate, of the Dublin rates. If you're outside of Dublin, it's 20%. Um, so we look within that context as well. And then we're also obviously looking, for, we do the, the, the same piece of research also speaks to the availability of properties for people who are experiencing homelessness, have their HAP payment, have their homeless HAP payment, and are looking to get out uh, into the private rental market as a route out of homelessness. So what's available to them? So that we've been doing on a quarterly basis and the, the report has shifted. We've expanded the number of areas over time. Uh, but the latest one came out, the, I suppose the, the data was collected in December and we launched it um, uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday. And um, what we found was that um, there was 1,349 properties available to rent in the 16 areas that we looked at. And those 16 areas cover most of the urban areas uh, in Ireland and are kind of all the places where you would have a assignment service. Um, and But of those, only 148 were within the HAP limits and that includes the discretionary limits. Now, to put that in context, and, there are just under 9,000 people experiencing homelessness at the moment, which is probably about two and a half thousand of those are children in families. So we're talking about maybe 6,000 households and they're trying to compete for 149 properties. Um, 
if you think about it, then some of those are one bed uh, spaces that aren't appropriate for families. So there's about 71 of those units that we've deemed within the criteria. Uh, we've deemed appropriate for either a family uh, uh, with one child or a family with two children. And there's only 71 of those within the rates. Yeah. And that's of 1,077 families competing for those. So, and that before you get into, do landlords want to accept HAP? Do, you know, is a family experiencing homelessness going to, you know, or individual experiencing homelessness going to uh, experience any discrimination because do they have references? Uh, all those additional issues, but that's the, the context of what it's happened. Now, we do know that people are moving on from homelessness. So what that tells us is and what we see on the front line is why this is particularly worrying is clear people are clearly topping up their payment. Yeah. And that is a, a huge pressure uh, on the sustainability of these uh, options for these housing options for people uh, over and above any <laughs> um, instability in the private rental market in any case because of the, because it is becoming so tight and landlords are leaving. Um, the uh, added to that the the uh, topping up, which is eroding people's uh, incomes and their capacity to feed and heat their homes, uh, you know, feed their families, all the, those kind of aspects. And in and in that context, we've also had with the growth in the economy a growth in inflation, uh, which is hitting things like staples like bread and milk. Um, which again is making it more difficult. So we're seeing it in terms of food centres uh, run by Simon. We're seeing people who are not necessarily in, uh, you know, are not experiencing homelessness. They have a roof over their head. They have a place, you know, the place to stay. They have accommodation. They're paying rent, um, but their budgets are so tight that they're presenting to our food services in the last week or the last two weeks of the month, even, um, in order to make ends meet just because they can't, you know, people prioritise their rent. Yes, of course. Uh, yes, because it's yes, so hard yes. to, to find alternatives. I suppose I had looked at a piece, and again, apologies, because this is very Dublin-centric, but I had looked at a piece recently, so say in, in, in Fingal, which is a, a you know, they, they, as Dublin grew, they it changed from just being Dublin into four separate local authority areas. So Fingal stretches most of North Dublin, um, out to, to West Dublin and the HAP limit for a single so when I say the HAP limit that's the limit that the local authority will pay mm -hmm. so again as you said you have to be in a certain income level and then the rent level that the local authority will pay for a one for a single person in Fingal is 660 euro now they may add the discretionary piece on top of that and for a couple I think it was 430 each so that would maybe give you 860 but I looked on just you know rental properties I found six I think in the Dublin 15 area for a one bedroom one bathroom and the cheapest was a thousand and the most expensive was 1600 so even the, the, the only way I can do it is by topping up so I'm paying my local authority differential rent rate to the local authority as per and then because I'm desperate, I am also throwing the landlord whatever the difference is. And as you said, so my housing is, when I say secure, I mean, it, you know, <laughs> I'm paying my rent. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, then we're looking at food poverty issues. We're looking at fuel poverty issues. We're looking at 
you know, I don't have my bus fare, I'm not able to top up my mobile phone. It's all of those things then that impact on this. And again, from Dublin, there was an Oireachtas committee last week and um, Richard Boyd Barrett had said that where he is, so he's South Dublin, so he's done Leary, South, that kind of area. And there was a bill to rent project or development there and the rents were in around the 2100, 2200, that type of thing. And they were advertising for staff to come and this person's job would have basically been showing you around these apartments. So that was their, they obviously worked in the block, maybe, you know, the kind of management office block and the wages was 26,000. So for somebody who worked in that development on a 26,000, they would have had they were like before tax, before anything was deducted, their entire wage, 100% of their wage would have been necessary to actually live in one of the apartments in that block. So there's that massive disconnect, isn't there, between that market rate and, and our wages and what we can actually afford. Yeah, and, and I think that that's what the lockdown report really speaks to, mm-hmm. um, because even as you say, uh, one of the other aspects is when you start to move into, you know, uh, the 990 for a single person mm. is a rate of HAP. So we're counting that almost as, you know, this, uh, the, the lockdown report shouldn't be mistaken for affordability. Mm. What there is, is it, it comes within a HAP rate. And I'm very clear to say that because some of the... <clears throat> I mean, when you move up into the larger family sizes, you can get up for close to 2,000 euros a month if the local authority uses its full discretion. People are still having to top up even at that rate. So that's an extra near affordable um, if you don't have the HAP supporting you, if you're even on a medium income. It's, you know, that's an enormous uh, amount to spend on rent for a, for a family. But so what uh, yeah so that speaks to uh, exactly that dis uh, what's the word uh, disconnect mm. between the what is now the market the private rental market and what people can, can actually afford not what they're paying not what they pay but what they could actually afford if we want to allow people to have the capacity to live a, a you know sort of a decent life and to do things like save um uh, you know, because there are all sorts of things coming down the line with this. Obviously, the primary concern of Simon is the housing system isn't allowing us to address homelessness. In fact, it's making it worse. So we need to rethink how we do housing. We need to find ways of inserting affordability into it. What that means is um, there's immediate things we can do today. So the first thing is we need to look at the HAP rates. That's not a long-term solution. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everyone who says, you know, you can't keep putting up the HAP rates is right. We can't keep chasing unaffordable rents. That's not a useful thing to do. But we are so far from market rents that HAP needs to catch up. That discretion that's available in Dublin of 50% has to be available to the other local authorities because you're looking around the country and Sligo Town, no properties. Leitrim, one property. Um, Galway City Suburbs, no properties available. Galway City Centres, only two. That alone, no properties. 
Limerick city centre, no properties. Limerick suburbs, one property. And so the, the levels are so low, you know, the, there has to be increased, uh, probably increased rates, but increased um, uh, capacity for local authorities to meet the needs of people in their in their regions. That's an immediate thing that can be done, but it's not sustainable into the into the long term. We we I think everybody accepts that. Um, but to not do it is to load the difficulties and the the unaffordability of our private rental market on the shoulders of the most vulnerable, and that just isn't right or fair. And we'll see homelessness increase. So we need to address that. We also need to look at there is a lot of work being done on prevention. Uh, of homelessness um, and you know my colleagues in threshold but their, their quarterly report yesterday and you know they've supported some uh 2000 people 900 households uh, prevented them from uh, coming into homelessness in the last quarter of the year um and that kind of work is going on every day uh, across local authorities you know threshold are doing it across the country um the simon communities focus ireland all of us are have an element of prevention in our work uh, we need to do more of it we need to be uh, to, to to be crass about it we need the funding to be able to expand those initiatives but we also need more time to work with people because what happens is somebody will get their notice to quit they will assume this isn't going to happen to me like i will we we really need yes it's a tight market but we only need one place yeah and they keep going and it gets to the last week or the last two weeks and that's when they go hang on this is a crisis I, like, I'm, I'm really stuck here and then they're presenting to their local authority so what we want to do is we want to get to them as early as we can but if we can't that it, that last minute isn't doesn't mean okay you've run out of time we're going to get you to, it, 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 you have to go into homeless services what we're saying is where a local authority adjudicates that the person is at imminent risk of homelessness that an extension can be brought in to uh, extend their notice to quit by up to 12 weeks and then those wraparound supports that are available in local authorities, available through Threshold and Simon uh, and, and all the other NGOs will be made and we'll get the time that we need to divert them from the experience of homelessness or for the local authority uh, to work with them or even to allocate uh, public housing. Uh, the other thing, uh, no, that's another area we can look at at the moment. Uh, it's important to say at the outset, local authorities have a very difficult job in terms of managing uh, the allocation of housing. You're talking about a very scarce, important, critical resource that they're being asked to um, ration between the most, the, between the, the, the households that are on the lowest incomes in the state. Um, and, you know, the, it's a huge opportunity to move forward in your life if you get your local authority accommodation because your rent is controlled um, and, and it opens up all sorts of options. Uh, so do, administering that in a fair way is a difficult uh, task. But I think in the in, certainly in the short term, as we wait for more public housing to come online um, and for the building programs that are promised to start delivering, we need to look at are we prioritizing those most vulnerable experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness are we prioritizing them enough and i think that's a conversation to be had um so if we could see the passage of the of the simon bill through the oroctus uh, something done on allocations or at least looked at um and half rates need to be uh, addressed and that's something as i say the minister can do with a stroke of a pen the uh, i think that's the first 
uh, aspect of what I talked about earlier, that thing of can we prevent people from having to cross the threshold of a homeless service? So they're the things we can start with that sort of sort of way. In the medium term, we need to look at areas like vacancy, dereliction and overshop uh, spaces or even uh, sort of out of use retail spaces that can be converted into homes. That can be done relatively quickly because you have, you have the four walls and a roof there. So it's a, it's a, it's a conversion rather than a, than a fresh build. And you're obviously talking about brownfields, so you have a lot of infrastructure there already. Um, I think one of the issues is there, usually you're talking about smaller units. Um, and there, there's been some suggestions around the, you know, around giving some relief around the planning code, or not even relief, but rather streamlining that I think has been a useful proposals. One of the issues there is that because you're talking about one and two and three apartments at a go, um, getting any kind of momentum and quantum of supply within that can be difficult. Um, so what you're looking at is each of those owners or landlords to, to do it themselves, to sort of support them to do it. But that's very market focused in terms of the, the levers you pull. And what that means is <coughs> those properties come back into the system at market rates. Yeah. So you're back into the so you're not inserting affordability. So that the process of getting those you know spaces and properties back into use, we have to also layer the uh, the supports that we're doing, particularly where the state is funding some of the building, mm -hmm. to ensure that they're brought back into the system um, at affordable rates. And by affordable, I mean affordable, not a not a percentage lower than unaffordable market rents, but actual uh, affordability in, in the system. Affordability linked to income as opposed to affordability based on 25% less than two and a half grand a month. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. I mean, I know when you're talking about like the prevention piece, I had read it was around the start of the, the COVID pandemic. And as you said, a lot has a lot has happened for private renters in that space. But one suggestion was that to legislate to say that it would you couldn't actually evict into homelessness. So that if somebody was served a notice that, okay, you know, the notice stands, the notice is valid, but that you couldn't actually evict somebody out onto the front garden with their black bags. You know, that sort of a way that you had to allow enough time for them to, to, to actually find somewhere else. Now, I haven't seen it enacted anywhere. It was, it was one of these things where, you know, people, as you said earlier, like all the research has been done, you know, all these suggestions have been made. I haven't seen it implemented anywhere, but it was an interesting angle. Yeah, I mean, that's in essence what we're attempting to do with the Simon Bill is build on that. I mean, the inspiration for the Simon Bill, I suppose, was the period of COVID when we had the moratorium on evictions, which did see a huge decrease in homelessness, uh, particularly in family homelessness, where there was a 40% decrease, uh, decrease um, from its peak. But what... Uh, so we wanted to take the learning from that and we wanted to uh, sort of put a framework on it um, that would was based on the experience that we have on the front line and what we see uh, in the work and the, the good work of local authorities um, in preventing people from experiencing uh, homelessness in the first instance. So uh, it's a similar notion. The Simon Bill is, is, is based on a similar premise that we don't want to be evicting anybody into uh, into homelessness and one of the things I would say because one of the challenges to it is well you know you're going to force more landlords out of the market I mean when what I believe is and, and my experience of, of 
some landlords is that they're as offended by the homelessness crisis as the rest of us. What I suppose what they don't want to feel is that somehow it's their fault or that they're you know left holding the can indefinitely for it. What this does is just ask forbearance mm-hmm. uh, from landlords for a couple of weeks while we work with somebody to prevent them from having to go into homeless accommodation. And uh, so it's built, that's, you know, that's part of what the Simon Bill, it's not just part of it, it is what the Simon Bill uh, is attempting to do. I mean, it does put an onus on local authorities and organisations like ours in, in the Simon community to make sure that we're providing those supports and working hard to make sure people don't have to cross the threshold of home service, but that's what we're here to do. Yeah. Yeah. And with the locked out reports, have you noticed sort of trends across time or trends across the country are there are there things that sort of crop out to you every 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 time you do it because i noticed like in this particular one like it said here all the properties that fall within the half limits are in dublin yeah the vast majority of them yeah it's not all but the vast majority yeah it's pretty it's, much it's, kind of you know yeah. you're, you're up in the almost almost sort of 100 percent was it it's very high yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, they are coming out. I mean, that's where most of the properties are. Um, so of the, even in terms of the total to be rented, mm. there's thir- almost 1,349 properties and there are almost a thousand of those are in the uh, Dublin region. The Dublin region. So, so, so the vast majority of the properties is, so that's about 70%. The, anyway. Yeah. So, and then when you... So there's a bit of extra capacity, and that's in part because they have the fifty percent top up as opposed to the twenty percent. So yeah. there's uh, there is a a tightening of um, of the yeah of the uh, of the market everywhere. I mean, one of the things has been even though in this one compared to the previous uh, locked out report, there was an uplift in the total number of properties available, but it's still only thirteen hundred and forty nine properties, yeah. which is incredibly low. When you think about, you know, there's 300,000 uh, households in the private rental market. So that's, you know, that's less than 1% of the of the stock mm-hmm. of, of housing is available to rent uh, at, a, at a given time. And that, that's very low. It should be, you know, that, that number should be multiples of, of what it is. So even though mm-hmm. it was a, there was an increase, it wasn't. Um, anything approaching at sort of a, a decent level of, of availability and then when you when you actually see even though there was an uplift uh, in the number total number of properties available to rent there was actually a fall in uh, the number of properties within a half rate okay. so it's gone from 190 in the previous report still Time. for you back to the uh, to the numbers of people experiencing homelessness um it's still very small, but it's down to 148 in this report. And that's just, it's just completely unsustainable mm. and very worrying when you look at the trajectory of homelessness. Uh, now, it has to be said, the homeless numbers came out on last Friday um, and there was a fall. So there was the numbers for December and there was a fall in the number, not insignificant, almost 2% uh, fall in the number of people experiencing homelessness over the month of December. Uh, over the, the counting period of December compared to November, and that was followed. That had followed six months of increasing numbers of two and three percent increases. Um, the increases we have have flown since the um, have ramped up since the uh, lifting of the moratorium on evictions, and that's another reason why 
I think it's part of the reason why the Simon Bill uh, passed uh, through a second stage was, was people have see the value in it and saw that I, I think a number of TDs were seeing it in their clinics that this is something that would actually be of help and assistance. So the, the moratorium and evictions lifting has seen a, yeah. a significant increase. There was a fall in December. What, now, 2% fall was probably better than we had anticipated, mm -hmm. particularly what we were seeing, because remember in December, we had the growth of the Omicron and we didn't yet know what was going to happen. But what we do see over December is people pull uh, sort of extended family members, pull, give them the couch for the, for the period of the of the, the Christmas, take them out of uh, you know services for for a week or two. Usually, what we see is that that comes back up again in January, and those people, many of those people, have to return to to back into emergency accommodation. But, but obviously, we don't want to anticipate that, but certainly the the indicators are that there's no reason to imagine that the trend will be different this time. And I mean, because you've got Simon's across the country. Are, are they noticing, I suppose, that Dublin is the centre? So I'm sort of thinking if all the rental accommodation is available in Dublin, are, say, as, say, say as a single person, if I'm looking for accommodation and I'm not tied into a school, I'm not tied into maybe a, a job, I'm going to move to Dublin um, so because I, that's the only place I can find somewhere to rent. And then, as has been you know, well documented, private rent then is my is my gateway to homelessness so is is that kind of is that one of the reasons why maybe that Dublin has quite high homeless figures or like are the two things connected I don't I don't know like do people come there's, a, there, there's certainly traditionally there, there would have been uh, that would have been a factor um but the uh, well, I think okay. So when we talk about the homeless numbers, what we're actually talking about is the number of people in homeless emergency accommodation. Yeah, yeah. So how many beds do we have in an area, and how many people are in those beds? Um, that's a particular way of counting. What it is is indicative of the way that we're we're how we're doing on homelessness. What it isn't is a total of the count. So there's very few. So if you went up to the northwest, there is no homeless accommodation. So the numbers are always low. Okay. Yeah. Then you're into conversations around hidden homelessness. You're into you know, how many people are maybe hidden away sleeping in their cars. That's not to say, I mean, Dublin is clearly, you know, it's the largest urban area. Homelessness in certain terms of things like rough sleeping uh, mm -hmm. and uh, emergency accommodation is generally more of an urban uh, issue. But, but what we do see is people who've been, you know, in, in uh, around the country who maybe have been sleeping on their sister's couch for a couple of years mm. and are then presenting to uh, homeless services, looking for housing support, maybe not even considering their experience because people have a very clear image of what homelessness is and it often isn't what they see as their experience. So I think they might define it as housing exclusion. Um, but so we, th that is very much a part of uh, rural homelessness um, and, and the smaller urban areas where maybe there isn't the same level of emergency accommodation. Um, so it, there's, there's a balance there. I mean, yes, it is. I mean, still, you would have to say, uh, you know, that the, the numbers are indicative. But in Dublin uh, City Council in particular has always been very good about making sure 
that you know, at least the emergency accommodation was there. Mm -hmm. And for a, you know, for a city of its size, the level of rough sleeping that you see in, in Dublin is, 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 is quite low. Uh, it's still unacceptable, the level of it. Mm -hmm. But if you were to make international comparators, it is quite low. That's one area where we do really, really well. Um, so it, it, there was a, a count done recently. I know we looked at because it's a very interesting methodology. Um, we looked at it with colleagues in Fianza. It's a, in um, uh, conducted in Belgium and four different local areas. And there was a presentation um, of it uh, by the by the researcher in a, a Focus Ireland a, a monthly talk that I responded to, and he looked at an area in Ghent, a city of Ghent, which is a similar size to uh, Cork, give or take. And uh, what you saw is much lower levels of people in what we would describe as emergency accommodation. So what we capture in our monthly figures, but significantly higher levels of rough sleeping. Um, and then they also looked at the biggest aspect when they went and did the research and looked at the methodology, the biggest category was the people that we would describe as in hidden homelessness. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the, the researchers rail against this idea of hidden homelessness. They're just, uh, it, it's too, uh, they want it defined as it's clearly homelessness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's um, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so th that's the thing. But that was the biggest, that was almost, um, I think that was, Sorry, I don't want to say the percentage because I know I'll be wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the wrong figures. But it was, um, you know, it, it, the number of people rough sleeping was less than 200. Uh, but uh, the and that was still very high when we looked at the size of uh, of the city. Uh, but the, in, when they counted what we would just term as hidden homelessness, uh, I think there was in excess of 500 people. Okay. Um, and then in there, sort of what we would count emergency accommodation, there was something between sort of immediate emergency and long-term transitional accommodation, if you like. Uh, I think there was a total of about 300 in that. So probably almost half of the population that would, they would describe as experiencing homelessness were in what we would term hidden homelessness. But, you know, it is, it's interesting, that the whole process of counting anyway is, is, is an... Is an I suppose is again another field where everybody has very strong opinions about what what is and what isn't yeah. included. But it is. I mean, it is one of the aspects that's really important because yeah. we need to properly understand yeah. what's happening. I mean, too often. I mean, it's not a regular occurrence, but too often we've heard this thing about, oh well, you know, the level of homelessness here is normal, mm. or oh, build it and they will come. Mm. So if we open more shelters, we'll have more homeless people. Mm. People present and or if we start allocating to people who are experiencing homelessness people will be there'll be this rush into into homeless accommodation uh so people so you can get the free house uh all of that stuff yeah. there's no evidence for it um and like we've asked regularly in, in different areas to see well okay let's interrogate it and see what's going on um and it, it doesn't occur. I mean, Owen O'Sullivan in Trinity has done, you know, has been tracking the numbers over a number of years. And when uh, the allocations to, it was quite a high profile uh, increase in allocations to people experiencing homelessness. Um, when Alan Kelly was minister, he, he sent a directive that 50% of all allocations had to go to those on the priority list and particularly people experiencing homelessness. Ring fenced it to try and make sure like there wasn't uh, some sort of, perverse incentive in there but 
um, there was no increase in the flow of people. There was no spike in people coming into homelessness. But when that was an explicit, you know, call that went out that this was going to happen. But does ha- the reason why it's important to understand hidden homelessness in inverted commas is because what does happen is that, and this is something we've we've talked about in the international space, is if you get a government that really attacks homelessness um, and really starts to deliver on solutions, you are probably going to see an increase in homelessness. Because the nature of that hidden homelessness is people are hanging on and they're looking. And when they look up and see, well, actually now there are solutions. There are solutions for me. That is what I need. That's the support that I need to move myself on from this difficult couch surfing, difficult situation. They will start to present. And that's what you want to happen. Um, but if you look at it as build it and they will come, you're, you're layering uh, people's need with all sorts of moral um, damaging uh, contexts that just aren't there. No, I mean, I love, uh, I love a conversation about moral hazard. I could, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm all over that. Um, and I know you've touched already, I suppose, on, on what, you, what you would like to see happen in terms of the future of secure, affordable housing. But you might just sort of talk us out with what you see as being the answers, what you see as, I mean, HAP doesn't deliver choice, it doesn't deliver... No, I mean, we have to insert affordability into our housing system. Yeah, yeah. And that's for everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's particularly, that's the, that gives us the infrastructure to deal with homelessness. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, in the current crisis, and it is really a crisis in, in homelessness, what we need to see is uh, targeted solutions and the and the uh, the targeting of the housing solutions towards addressing the homelessness crisis because that's really the sharp end at the broader uh, sort of medium term strategy is to get the public housing cost rental up and running and we need kind of 15,000 allocations a year if we're going to start drawing people out of the private rental market as well and freeing up space there and not become not being so reliant on HAP you know so we have about 12,000 people coming onto the homeless list every year uh, we need to you know we need to re- ensure that we're allocating to that number of people we need to ensure that we're targeting um, also we're drawing people out of and allocating to people who are in the HAP uh, system and drawing them out of that system into a more secure uh, public housing system. And we need the cost rental system to insert affordability in there to ensure that we don't uh, see people drift towards the sort of economic situations that drive them uh, into homelessness, because that will also, it'll take some of the heat out of the private rental market, but also provide uh, options for people on modest incomes who maybe don't qualify for uh social housing but uh, who can then you know do things like either stay there long term and decide that this is a tenure for us or if they want to go down the route of buying um, that they at least are in a position to save and and have that option for them in the medium to long term but as i say the, the focus of simon is on addressing homelessness so the, the short term first thing we have to do is work on prevention because that's something we can do straight away we have to look at making sure that the resources are there in the hap are at a level that at least allows, affords people the opportunity to get out of homelessness or to prevent them from coming in. We need to look at things like vacancy, dereliction and overshop because um, that, you know, those can be delivered in a relatively short uh, space of time. There's definitely low hanging fruit there. 
as I say, the difficult needle to thread is ensuring that you draw that back into the into the system with affordability attached. And then in the, the medium term, we need to get to that. What I think is the the number, which is about the 15,000 allocations uh, every year to start really building up the housing infrastructure uh, that we need. That's it. I mean, I was just reading this morning, I have a book here, Understanding Affordability, you know, it's UK-based Jeffrey Main and Christine Whitehead. But there's a line here, there was now a wider recognition that trickle-down benefits from a general expansion in market housing are insufficient to improve conditions significantly for low-income households. Indeed, the problems are not confined only to those on lower incomes, and it's hard to reach any other conclusion than that an expansion of social or affordable housing needs to play a role. That's it really, isn't it? That's in a nutshell, yeah. Build it and they will come. Thank you so much for your time, Wayne. I really enjoyed that. That was super. Um, is there, Excellent. If people are interested in your work, they can find your stuff on just Simon.ie. Simon.ie. Brilliant. And, is it those and that's a portal. Have? They can go to their local Simon community or, or come and take a look at us in terms of the policy and advocacy work that we do. Brilliant. Yeah. And those reports are um, they're quite eye-watering. I find I read them on a regular basis and have a box of, you know, have a little weep every time I read them. <laughs> And then, but they are like, they're a fascinating look, as you said, not at affordability, but at people's lived realities. And again, those stories that you, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of stories. So to look and see these particular individuals are having this difficulty in accessing secure, sustainable, affordable housing. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on keeping on, Wayne. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, any conversations you'd like us to have, feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.